Yo, 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 welcome to episode number 24 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, The 27 Guy, and I thank you for downloading the podcast today. Uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time to prepare for this one, and I don't have... um, uh, I don't have anything in terms of what's going on in the hobby that I feel pretty that I feel very passionately about uh, talking about today. But I do have some awesome stuff to share. But before we get there, as always, a reminder: follow me at the Twenty Seven Guy and like this podcast, if you will, if you like it. I guess like it, give it five stars, that sort of thing. Um, the uh, reception this last little while has been great. I kind of had the the thought that. Um, there are a lot of basketball card guys that where things die down during the summer, and I hope this is one of the more interesting times of year to be um, to actually be following uh, a podcast like this one. So I uh, appreciate you for listening. Again, hit me at the 27 guy, uh, PM me on blowout, also the 27 guy, and um, yeah, it, the the blog is the 27 guy. Uh, at, at block a blog spot uh, website. So anyway, um, I, uh, as most of you know, uh, did something insane this week, and that is I purchased a four hundred thousand card lot. There's a lot of cards. <laughs> it's uh, it's over a thousand pounds of cards and binders. Um, and I have to say it's well over a thousand. I, I don't know exactly how, how many pounds I haven't weighed it, but just guesstimating way more than that. And so what would inspire me to do that? Well, first off, I, I do want to keep this uh, podcast fairly short today because I want to get back to looking at that. And I only have about an hour, uh, an hour and a half maybe, an hour and 45 minutes maybe to do the podcast and then also to look through the collections some more. I still have several boxes that I haven't even started to go through. But let's go back in time a little bit. So when I was younger, my first job was at a card store in Salt Lake City called House of Cards. And I worked there for about six years. Um, I worked there for three years. And then I went and served an LDS or as most of you know, Mormon mission. Um, and then when I came back, I worked there for another three years. And before I started working there, when, when I was 17, um, or not even 17, before I turned 17, um, probably about 16, 16 and a half, anyway, you don't care about that. Be- even before that, probably about eight years before that, I started to become a very much a regular at House of Cards. And I got to know the people who work there, and I got to know a lot of the customers. Well... I um, made some friends along the way, and one of the friends that I made was uh, by was named Jack, an older man by the name of Jack, and he was the sort of collector collected a lot of sets. He would tell awesome stories about when he was younger in his collecting days. One of the stories that was so awesome that I remember that he told was about how he paid off his house. He he paid his down payment on his first home with his early 1950s baseball card collection. And uh, it's pretty cool. Um, those t- sort of stories I remember from, from my childhood. Well, I started to work for House of Cards, and he was, he was a, 
collector there and he would come in every Saturday and bid on cards on the bid board. The bid board is um, one of the coolest ways to buy and sell cards locally. And back in the heyday, in the early to mid-90s, every Saturday when the auction wall, known as the bid board, would close, where there were basically hundreds of auctions that all ended at 1 o'clock p.m., um, right as it right as they were about to end um people would be bidding like crazy and jack would always be there and so i've you know i've interacted with jack thousands of times well jack's gotten a little older and his ability to sell things online isn't that's not what he does he's never bought cards online he's always bought locally and he's gotten older and his memory isn't as good as it used to be and um he's in his mid-70s and I think he's aware that his collection was taking his life from him. And um, he knew that that's not how he wanted to spend the rest of his life. He was taking the cards into the same local card store, um, House of Cards, every week and making 20 and $30 here and there. And for whatever reason, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about him it was after I had sold some stuff using Probstein, the consigner that we've talked about on this podcast before. And I realized how I could help Jack because I, I've always wanted to help him to get rid of his stuff um, for him. And, and I'm sure that sounds like I'm secretly very like um, selfish trying to make money off of him. I care about Jack. He's, he's a friend of mine and he's been a friend of mine for a long time. And I know what his collection is like and... Um, been over to his house before to see, you know, how huge it is, and I know that within it there, I knew that with within it there were these hidden treasures. I knew that he had precious metal gems cards. I knew that he had, you know, lots of rare refractors and random inserts from the mid to late '90s, and I knew he'd have some things that were worth some money, but I didn't know how to help him with that. And so, because it would take so long and so many auctions and that sort of thing, and I've got children and a wife and life's busy and so I didn't know how to help Jack so when I used Probstein though it helped me to realize hey I can go through this stuff I can go through his collection one time pull out all the stuff that is ebayable and then I don't know what to do with the residual but I can I can pull out the really good stuff and I can help him sell that quick so I went over to his house and we looked through about four boxes of binders. Each of these boxes is probably a foot high, a foot long, a foot wide, and two feet long, and just has binders stacked in it. And as we were going through these binders, we found a Paul Pierce Raise the Roof Mystique insert numbered to 100. And as soon as I heard, as soon as I saw it, I just smiled because I'm sure he paid under $10, probably under $5 for this card back in 2000 or 1999. And th this card is worth hundreds of dollars, evidenced by the fact that I've already sold it for him for hundreds of dollars. He had no idea what it was worth. And so I pulled it out and I told him that I was sure it was worth in the hundreds of dollars. And he just, he didn't know how to respond to that. I got home and I was thinking about that card and the other cards that I th found that night and I thought... I'm not being fair to Jack because he wants to sell this stuff. He wants to get rid of all this. And here I am giving him, you know, an hour every few months of my time whenever I could get some extra time to go over and help him. 
And I said, the only way that I'm going to be able to align my incentives with his is if I buy this thing. And so I called him uh, the next night. Actually, it might have been that night. I called him and I said, look, here's the deal. I found this card, sold it for several hundred dollars, and I've got an idea. And the idea basically was, let's align my incentive with yours. No, most people would have said, I'm going to make you an offer, a cash offer, and then that'll be that. But I don't. I didn't really know how to do that because I'd only looked at a portion of the collection. And to look through 400,000 cards that are all in binders takes a really, really long time. Like like a long, long time. I'm, I think I'm especially fast at it, but I didn't know what else to do. So I, I made him an offer, and I don't want to go into the exact details of that offer but because I don't think that would be fair to me or to him. But, but suffice it to say, I gave him a, a large check, and I said, this is your first piece. This is yours now. Now we're going to keep track of how much the cards sell for out of this collection. And up to this amount um, is all mine. And an amount past this is all mine because I'm spending the time and obviously it's kind of my expertise that he, that's uh, able to allow him to move this collection. But at, then after that, after that next line, everything from that point on is half yours. And everything from that point on is half mine. And so he and I have become, in a way, partners on this, basically equal partners in... Um, in selling this collection, and it's been awesome. The thread on Blowout is at like 5,000-something views. Um, it's it's cool to interact with some of you. I've already sold the four best cards out of the lot um, through two of the cards through Blowout and two of the cards through um, uh, somebody who I know in the hobby who is doing the Precious Metal set and needed a couple of those reds, um, and it's been great. Um, it, for, for he's going to get a second check out of this and he's going to get more than if he had continued to sell locally and he's going to get that money more quickly and again that's thanks to the consigners who I know have a lot have a bad name in certain circles but um, they, they allow us to do to do you know to move our collections fairly quickly um, and I it shouldn't have taken me as long as it did to to learn about them so anyway that's kind of uh, that's kind of where we are with with the structure of the deal, um, and and what we're doing. Um, my method in going through this is simple. It's to go look at everything and to really skim through it, to pull out all of the Jordans, to pull out all of the numbered inserts, and the jerseys, um, the Kobe's and cards that will sell individually on eBay for $8 or more. Other stuff, I'm just leaving in there, and I've got to figure out what I need to do with the in the end with it, but I've had a few people ask me if I could maybe ship it to them in the end or what it would take, but I think the shipping on this lot's probably going to be, depending on where you are, um, in the hundreds, probably thousands of dollars, and so it's going to be hard to sell... Um, and, and ship to somebody. I may end up just doing an ad in the local classifieds and letting somebody come over and take it because I think there's still lots of money to be made. There's still you know lots of team sets and player sets and there's I'm sure there's things that I'm missing along the way. But um, but I only have so much time to be able to do this. So that's kind of my method. 
I think there's a couple of things that um, that I've learned about cards as I've done this that have been interesting. It's cool to go back and look at some of the 90s insert stuff. I've never gotten out of the 90s inserts completely. I've been well aware of kind of their price trends, and I've watched the precious metal gems and, and how they've changed from you know from 97. And um, it's crazy. At one point, I owned a uh, a Stockton Green. And there's a long story attached to that Stockton Green uh, that I'll save for another time. But the 90s inserts are awesome. Yesterday I found a lot of about 10 Rockstars refractors from I think 98, 99 tops. Um, along with some um, refractors from, oh what was that set called? Not Royalty, maybe it was Royalty. <sighs> Shoot, I can't remember. But from that same top set. Um, other other pretty cool refractors. I found um, some Court Masters from 96-97 Ultra, which is the first year that they did that set. And I believe they were 1 in 288 packs each, and Jack had three of those. Uh, one was Kemp, and one was Penny Hardaway, and one was um, Akeem Olajuwon. I saw my first ever uh, Scoring Kings, I think it's 96-97, Scoring Kings Plus version. Which is funny. You'd think I'd seen um, seen a bunch of those before. They're really nice in person. It's a Sean Kemp card. I don't know if it's worth more than ten or fifteen dollars, but um, but it's an awesome card. I found hundreds and hundreds of Jordans. Again, I'm not even done with a lot yet. A lot of inserts, a lot of base, um, but it reminds me. You know, it reminds me of of how popular that era was and continues to be. I get nervous about collecting that era because of the number of really good fakes that have that have um, come out, uh, fakes that have fooled the great the card graders, right? Fakes that have fooled Beckett and that have fit, that have um, fooled PSA. Uh, those have have caused me to take a step back and to question whether that's a great uh, investment going forward. It's not, you know, we don't just buy these things for investments, but you don't ever want to buy something with an anticipation that it's going to decrease dramatically in value. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed looking at the 90s inserts. I was a little surprised at how valuable the Raising the Roof set is. That's a very valuable set. Um, I was a little shocked at how quickly those PMGs got um, uh, got taken. I think, um, I think obviously I was pretty fair with the price. I believe, I'm fairly confident that I saw in his collection before that he had a Carl Malone PMG. And I still have another lot to go pick up and I still have some stuff to look through tonight and uh, over the course of the next week or two. And so, you know, cross your fingers for me that I find that Carl Malone because that would be huge. My goal is to write him a second check that's just as large as the first. And if I can do that, he can, you know, he might be able to take a portion of his family and go back to uh, Paris, which is um, which is where he served his mission um, about 55 years ago, uh, and he, where he's getting old enough now that that won't be feasible for the long term. It would be great if we could get him there. So um, anyway, I digress. The other thing that I think has been interesting, I had an interaction with one of the smartest, one of the smarter members on the boards, uh, PhD Beckett. Uh, he's got a Kyrie Irving card is his avatar. Always good info from that guy. Bright, bright guy in the hobby. And it's good to have those guys who you read their stuff and you go, yeah, okay. 
get that guy. So he, I posted a picture of yesterday's findings, and one of the cards that I posted was an 88, 89 Fleer sticker of Jordan. And he said in the thread, hey, you might want to take a look at that. That might be worth more than your precious metal gems. Um, take a look at the, you know, at the condition on that. It looks like the centering is pretty good. He could only see one side uh, of the of the side-to-side -side centering, and but he could see the up and down. The up and down is pretty good. So the top, I should say the top to bottom is pretty good. The side-to-side is probably 55, 45. Not great, but not bad. Um, what he couldn't see is there's a couple print spots on the front. There's some print spots on the back. There's some edge stuff on, or there's some corner stuff, but it's a really nice card. Um, and he agreed that the card is probably an 8.5 um, on a, a 9 on a really great day. And um, it surprised me when I when I looked up. I knew that that I knew that set was very valuable because it's extremely um, tough to find a, a great card condition-wise in that set, specifically because of centering, prints, print stuff edge wear, corners, like there's pretty much everything about that set makes it a difficult set to find in good condition. And so um, it got it got me looking at prices and I was really, I was, I was going to say, I was really surprised that, it, that they were so high. It looks like in the last several months, um, along with all of the other Jordans, that that this card has jumped a lot. It looked like about three or four months ago you could find a, a nine of this sticker for three or four hundred dollars, and now they're more like fifteen hundred dollars. Obviously, there's a there's there's been a lot of manipulation there. I, I don't think that all of that is real, um, and I've said so before here on the podcast. I think there have been a lot of games played with the Jordan, with the Jordan market, and with the with the graded stuff. But I think it's also worthy to note that, that there are a lot of people who are watching these things and there are a lot of people that are interested in them. So it's hard to separate what is the real with, with what's not. But I think it's I think it's safe to say that there's been manipulation, but there's also an increase in it, an increase in interest. Whether that's caused by the manipulation or because people have become disenfranchised with Panini or because people want to put their money in a quote safer place in the hobby which I don't necessarily is, think is true in this case, by the way, but I think the hobby does in general. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know why um, or how much has to do with each of those things. I just can see what the prices are at this point, and it makes me go look at the population report, and you go, oh, wow, there's really not a lot of these in great condition. It makes me you know, think if any of you have any of these huge collections out there and you have stuff from the late 80s and from the early 90s. Open your binders and your boxes and see what the centering and the condition is like on some of that stuff because you can find some cards that really only sell for a couple of dollars ungraded that are worth quite a, quite a bit of money. The last thing that I want to hit on the podcast today is one of the things that I've learned as I've gone through this stuff with Jack. Um, it's been interesting to me how much regret he has in terms of the number of hours he's spent on the hobby. He's loved, he's loved the hobby. I don't think he regrets being um, actively engaged in it over the course of his lifetime. But I do think he regrets deeply the number of hours that he's taken away from his family to do card stuff, to look up values and to organize and to, in a very obsessive sort of manner, collect. 
And I think a lot of us in this hobby have that nature. I know I'm very obsessive. I've always been very obsessive. For those of you who know me on the boards, you might even be able to see that in the way that I write and the way that I follow certain things. Uh, there's certain things that I, that I, that once I know that I like, I hang on to those things. Most of us who collected through the 90s and didn't stop when the cool kids stopped probably have a little bit of that obsessiveness in us. I, I think it's, there's probably a correlation there. We get older and we learn to deal with it, and I, I tend to think that I learned to, to deal with that, and um, I can pull myself away and, uh, and focus on more important things. But just a caution to everyone, this is a hobby, and it's a wonderful hobby, and it's a way that you can use your time and maybe make money and, and, in, and enjoy other people and collectors, and, and, uh, but it's not real life, right? It's not something that should take over your life. It's cardboard. And I think we've all, not all of us, I think a lot of us have known people who have let it take over their lives. Let's not let us be those people who have our lives taken over by it. Let's really enjoy it and, and have an awesome experience in the hobby. Let's build friendships through the hobby. Let's bring a younger generation into it. Let's let them see, you know, the cool things that, that, that we've learned about it as we've grown. Um, I've really enjoyed watching my six-year-old collect the little Panini stickers and put them in, in his stick, sticker book. And I gave him a little binder with pages last Christmas and allowed him to put his cards in there. And he loves it. He's learned about the players. And he and my three-year-old will have favorite players and favorite cards. And it's awesome. It's such a cool hobby. But let's not let ourselves lose our lives over it in the process. Let's keep it manageable and um, and have a, have a great time with it. Apologize if that comes across as preachy, but this experience with Jack has led me to believe that there are, that we people can become addicted to a lot of things, and hoarding is a real thing. And if you've got four hundred thousand cards, you probably have a problem with that. Um, we're all going to get old, and these are going to matter a whole lot less to us at that point. Um, anyway. Uh, on that more somber, uh, solemn note than we typically end on, I'd like to just say thank t thanks to those of you who have listened to this this whole spiel of mine. Thanks for coming along the ride on the 400,000 card collection. We're not over and we're not close to being over on it. Um, I'd really like to thank you guys, though. I really appreciate you for listening. If you have any questions, send, send them to me. I'd love to talk about them on the podcast. Um, and if you... Um, if you get a chance, please again like this podcast, share it. If you feel if you feel comfortable sharing it anywhere on any of the message boards or anything, I'd love that. You know, we're not always super nice to those uh, collectors who who go out on the ledge or um, out on a limb. Um, and I'm I'm sure that there are those who have listened to this who who haven't thought great things about it. But you know, it is what it is. I enjoy doing it. So. Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to follow me on Twitter or ask any questions or hit me up on Blowout or whatever, just remember it's a great hobby and, uh, and uh, yeah, as always, until next week. Bye.